Shaw TV, the Lethbridge Herald, and other media covering SAGPA events. Our thanks also go to Great Plates, Great Plate Catering, who prepares the lunch, and to the University of Lethbridge that supports SAGPA in many ways. We're always looking to expand our membership. So by a show of hands, who are not members of SAGPA? Annalise, get all their faces, <laughs> grab them on the way out. We'd love you to come along every week. It's only $25 for the whole year. Uh, now, next session is going to be another exciting session because we'll be unpacking the 2019 federal election. Winners and losers, if there were any. And our speaker for that session is Paul Ferry, and he is a research associate at the University of Calgary. Uh, now that and all our forthcoming sessions are listed on the SAGPA website, www.sagpa.ca, as soon as they're fixed. So you can go there and you can also listen to uh, past SAGPA sessions on the website. So now we come to our Q&A. And this will be the usual SAGPA format. And I want to emphasize that as when we had our mayor here a few weeks ago, some questioners occupied the mic and read out lengthy petitions and that far too long so that others really didn't get a chance to answer questions. So we do want to have as many people as possible have the opportunity to ask the speaker questions or to make a comment. You don't have to ask a question. You can also make a comment on what you've heard during the presentation. So, please use the microphone over there. State your name first. Keep your questions or comments short. And no questions or comments from the floor, please. So, with that, we'll invite our speaker, Nathan, back to the podium. Okay, so let's have the first question, please. Hi there, my name is Veronica Kordakowski. Uh, thank you for your speech today. Um, I understand that you're bringing some of the concerns back to the Premier, so here's my question. Uh, you say you want to protect the most vulnerable, making life better for Albertans. So I'd like to know what your rationale is, if any, for not continuing to index H to the cost of living. Thank you very much, appreciate that question. That's a very significant uh, demographic for Lethbridge, for sure. So what's commonly uh, misunderstood is that indexing for age has never yet taken place in Alberta. It was, uh, it was voted on just before the election, and it was set to start January 1st, 2020. So we have paused that. Uh, one of the uh, factors in that decision is that currently Alberta pays uh, $400 a month more per person on H than the next closest jurisdiction. And without indexation, other, the other jurisdictions would take 
about 20 years to catch up to where Alberta is. So we, we have a very uh, high funding level for that. We want to maintain it. So we're overall, we're just pausing that until we can get on a more solid uh, fiscal ground. But it is a significant concern. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan, for speaking here today. My name is Larry Elford. My question fits on a recipe card, so I hope that Trevor's going to allow that uh, further to protecting the public interest. I research a, uh, you mentioned something about interest payments to banks and they're in the budget and they can't be controlled. I research a very strange sector of exemptions to our laws and ignoring, ignoring of our laws of Alberta to banks and financial companies. And I find that the Alberta economy is drained by about $2,000 for every man, woman and child in Alberta. That's an $8 billion drain according to my estimates and I don't know the half of it. My question is, how would you or anyone in this audience advise me to address the questions to government when it is government regulators who are the ones ignoring the laws and selling or granting exemptions to laws in secrecy? There seems to be a double bind there or a quid pro quo where the people who are profiting from ignoring the laws are the ones who are investigating the laws. If you have any advice on how to push that forward, it's a big number. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's a, a very detailed question uh, and probably beyond the expertise that I have at this point in time. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that. But I would say if you have specific examples and concerns with that, there are a number of ways to get a hold of that. There's the ethics commissioner. You can address her directly and have her look into that all the well, as well as the Alberta Ombudsman. Uh, to look into that. <coughs> uh, specific examples would be required. There are significant levels to government, I, I can assure you, uh, and, and even uh, at points in times, even my own understanding w wasn't clear on that. Technically, I'm not even a member of the government. The, the government is, in strictest sense, the premier in the cabinet, uh, and yet the larger umbrella of government is the premier and cabinet private members, which would include all members of the official opposition, as well as all private members for the government, and then the Legislative Assembly Office. So those are the three parts of it. Uh, so there are uh, numerous layers under specific ministries that have, uh, where ministers have authority on regulation, as well, well as ministerial orders to speak to those things that uh, would not necessarily be publicly debated on the floor. So that may be a question where you'd have to go specific to a minister, Alberta Ombudsman, or the Ethics Commissioner. I okay. hope that's helpful answer for Thank you. Thank you. Next question, please. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Ingrid Hess. I'm a lawyer here in Lethbridge, and I'm also on the board of Opokasen, which is an Indigenous-run and uh, targeted for Indigenous family organization. Started in 1996. It's very successful, unique across Canada, it has won accolades for the type of um, interventions that they provide on behalf of Indigenous families living in the city of Lethbridge. They have uh, daycare, Head Start, um, kindergarten services, but most importantly, and what was the, um, when that organization was started was to address a need for Indigenous families to provide care for children in an after-school context and in terms of family prevention as well. So supporting families that might be struggling or need support. Please get to your point. Thank you. 
So I just want to, um, uh, you said, and you were congratulating your minister, I think her name is Schultz, about not um, cutting funding for um, family or children-oriented services, and that's simply not the information we have as an organization. We just received a letter last week that our funding, which is forms one quarter of our um, total funding that we um, get from various sources, um, is being cut, um, eliminated at the end of March. We have to reapply, and the information our organization was given was that um, all the organizations that get the funding from this one source are now, uh, so there was a, like something about $77 million, it's now going to be $57 million. So that's $20 million less for all the organizations that um, get their funding. So I, I, I don't, your, your information you provided here is not consistent with the information our organization had has, and we had a meeting on, on um, Okay, fine, I'm going to have to cut you short, please, because there are others that are waiting behind you. So, Nathan, did you get the point on that? I, I, Funding I, is short. Thank you. I, I will... I could ask a question. Like, you know, it, it's, it's important to put it in context, and there isn't one single Indigenous person in this whole um, audience that I can see, so I thought it important. This is an important demographic. They um, need our support. So yeah. the question is, what's the truth? I mean, you said yeah. there's no cuts. Our organization is being cut, 260 <laughs> thousand dollars we have to reapply it's likely not going to be that same amount this is an important issue okay thank on. you That's thank you very it. much <laughs> thank you very much that is absolutely very important and, a, and a, a very vital question particularly for Lethbridge so in terms of the provincial budget and ministry that funding has increased but yes within that within that certain jurisdictions we'll see some reallocation or differing amounts like this specific program. Uh, I will go back to that ministry and ask her to look at that one in particular because it is so vital for Lethbridge. So within that big program, again, these are provincial numbers and sometimes that's hard to filter down to specific jurisdictions like Lethbridge. Um, <clears throat> and there are, there are gaps in that. So that's something I'll take back. I know there's some, there is some reallocation and I know there's some restructuring of those fundings to eliminate any duplications, but this is a specific issue and I will look into that and make sure I take that back to the ministry. So thank you for that question. Okay, thank you. Next question, please. Hi, Nathan, thank you for your attendance. My name is Les Alford. I have um, a point question. I'm hoping you'll be able to answer it. I'm not really sure. Uh, I have a lot of um, family and, and friends who are in law enforcement and, and what they tell me is sort of what you have alluded to in your comment about the social issues in Lethbridge and, and, the, and the rise in crime in Lethbridge as well, as additionally. But what they tell me is, is, and I'm hoping you can help me with this, is that since this government has come into power, there has been a significant increase in the number judicially of promise to appear um, sentences or, or, or tickets, if you will, for criminal offenses. Promise to appear, which means that you get arrested for something, you don't get kept held for anything, could be break and enter, whatever. <clears throat> you get handed a promise to appear. I'm gonna be a good boy, I'll show up in court next week. 
Um, the other things that have increased significantly are, are $1 bond, $1 bail bonds, $1. $10 bail bonds, and no cash bail bonds. What, what a no cash bail bond, from my understanding is, what I'm told, is that a person signs an assurity bond, which could be equivalent to what normally would be bail of, say, $1,000, let's say, signs, signs this assurity bond that, yes, I sure will pay that $1,000, never shows up, never gets paid, and here's the kicker. Okay. No government official goes after collecting them. So I'm just, I'm just one for them. They get charged, when they get arrested again, they get charged for a breach of bail or whatever. So I'm, I'm just wondering if you have answers or solutions to this. Um, the other thing that I'm gonna okay, just that's, comment that's, on. Okay, let's deal with that one first, shall okay. we please? Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of specifics in there that I, I wasn't aware of, <clears throat> but I have been speaking considerably with the Minister of Justice, and there is a disconnect between the office and the legislation that we currently have with the work that the police officers do in apprehending these individuals and in the sentencing of these individuals. So often, uh, our legislation is in place, including the penalty for different offenses, but the justice system is not uh, seeking a, uh, a sentence to match that length of the law. So the Minister of Justice is looking into that. Those very, very specific details, I don't know them. I'm happy to take those with me. But it is something I've asked the Minister of Justice to come down again and address for Lethbridge as it's part of the significant challenge we're facing these days. Okay, fine, thanks. Just one now, quick com comment before I go, and that is at the Remembrance Day ceremonies, yeah. for the very first time in my life in Lethbridge, there was uh, motorcycle gang members in full color there. Never seen it in Lethbridge before. Okay, thanks, thanks for your comment on that one. If there's more time at the end, come back again. Thank you. Next question, please. Hi, Leona Jacobs. Um, so a lot of your presentation, or Travis Taves' presentation that you get delivered for him, um, is based on the McKinnon Report. And literally everything gets distilled down to a per capita spending thing, <coughs> comparison with the other provinces. To what extent was the McKinnon report informed by the underpinning nuances of the capita piece of that in terms of social, social issues, demographic issues, infrastructure deficit from 30 years ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that might explain why perhaps there might have been an increase in spending over time relative to the other provinces? Sure. Thank you. Good question. <clears throat> I, I don't have the details on how the McKinnon panel may have approached that, um, but you are correct in the sense that there was an infrastructure deficit and also that we have seen uh, an increase in spending for 25 years. Uh, so this isn't limited to one government or one party or one point of view. Uh, we've in, been increasing our spending since, um, whatever, 25 years ago, 1996. Every single budget since that time has had an increase in spending. This is the first one to decrease spending even in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it is 
um, indicative of our financial position, position that uh, we have spent further and spent more than our income. However, we, we've addressed it, and that's why we've looked at uh, the spending side. Because of the volatility of our revenues, we, we understand that revenue will go up and down. But again, we have to be responsible in our, in our spend, and that's what we can control. And that's where we've we've taken the mandate to re reduce it. Okay, fine. So now we have seven people lined up for questions. So I'm do asking you to please be concise and short with your questions or comments, and the same with answers, please. Okay. So next question, please. Hi, Nathan. Lauren Patzer, thank you for being here. Uh, I appreciate your government's efforts to control spending. Uh, Increasingly, however, I think we're going to have conversations in this province about equalization. Uh, Mr. Kenny has made that a part of his program to address that. Uh, from what I've been able to uh, determine as a financial advisor, the equalization payment system is archaic. It excludes Quebec's ability to generate hydro. They have no accountability for that in the equalization payment. Therefore, I was pleased to see that your government addressed removing natural resources completely from the equalization payment. I'm asking you to just comment about this generally and why your government feels that this is an appropriate point to address regarding our belonging to this confederation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. Yeah, it is significant. Uh, different governments can include and exclude certain uh, sectors of resource and revenue and therefore allow them to fund uh, or either post surpluses or uh, deficits, which does play into the equalization uh, calculations. Alberta hasn't done that, um, but Quebec has, and even that this year they're posting a $4 billion surplus, largely in part to uh, the $13 billion they received from equalization, which again is funded at great lengths from Alberta. So we, are, we aren't looking to... Um, manipulate that, but we are looking to get a fair deal for Alberta, particularly when our economy and our, our resource sector is down. And most specifically, uh, when provinces are actively working against uh, the best interests of all Canadians. Okay. So I want to address that. Thank you. Next question, please. I'm Carol Perry, <clears throat> and I don't want to leave Canada. I would like you, in your cutting of the budget, to explain to me and others here why you're paying a banker nearly $20,000 to go and have a good time in Europe for four or five days. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I, as well, do not want to leave Canada, so I appreciate that. Uh, the number that came out um, was $45,000 to do that. What we have seen in the, in the past five or six years is an extreme uh, flight of capital and investment from Alberta. So we are doing everything that we can to meet with them. And sometimes a, a nicely written letter from the Premier's office isn't enough. They, they do expect some cultures specifically very much highly value that uh, high official face-to-face -face meeting. And they appreciate when we go to speak with them. There are some costs to that. Uh, the average hotel uh, in in London is between two and three hundred uh, pounds per night, so that does increase it. So that's within the the budget of the premier's office, 
And that is the intent, to meet with them and to, to continue to try to get investment back to Alberta. Okay, thank you. Next comment or question, please. Joy Morris, I'm a parent with kids in the local school district, as I believe you are as well. Mm -hmm. um, the school district, I, believe, I have been informed as a parent, uh, is facing a deficit despite uh, having anticipated certain cuts, is facing a deficit based on what they anticipated of almost $3 million this year. That, that affects classroom sizes, that affects educational assistance in the classroom, and this comes partway through the fiscal year for the school districts when they're not really in a position to, to make these changes. How can you justify that? That's a very good question. Thank you. Appreciate that. I spent considerable time with Cheryl Gilmore to address that. Uh, and I have seen where she cal has calculated their number of th the $3 million shortfall. I've also spent time with the Minister of Education and, and have the documentation to show that their funding actually uh, went from $110 million to 109, so it's only about 427,000. So I can show you how that is calculated on both sides. Uh, some of it has to do with school grants that were one time only, but it is correct to say that the school district had that money previously and they don't have it coming up. So trying to, uh, I have uh, been working with Cheryl to schedule another meeting with her, her board and her uh, administrators so that we can say, how do we navigate this? How do we move the best path forward? And to be completely honest, I think with her, their primary concern isn't just about the funding, it's actually more about school space, uh, knowing how greatly our population for school kids is, is growing. We're a, an area of significant enrollment growth. And uh, they were a bit discouraged not to see a school south of Calgary. So she's asked me about that and I am taking that back to the ministry. I suspect but don't know if part of the answer is that we currently have a school being built on the south side and whether that bumped us down on the list of priorities. But I hope to get better answers for that uh, as we do see significant growth within the city. Uh, the Holy Spirit School Division is not quite so pressed as they see a fairly flat line on student enrollment going down in the rurals uh, and up slightly in the city so it's not quite as much impact for them. But okay, thank you. Next comment or question, please. My name is James Moore. Uh, you uh, are aware, I hope, that your premier, our premier, sat on the panel that created the equalization formula under the Harper majority government. Mm -hmm. And now, I, I want to make sure you're aware of that. That's my, one of my points. So the other is your McKinnon panel was deliberately excluded from considering revenue. How can you imagine a budget which excludes half of the columns? Okay. So the first, the first part, thank you for those questions. So the first part of that, again, uh, with the equalization, again, at the time that that was created, there, there was no anticipation that we'd actually have a federal government or individual provinces working against other provinces for them to realize the benefits of their resources. So that's a significant change in confederation. We didn't have that at the time. Uh, where that was working against, uh, we weren't working against the common good and restricting access. So that's a challenge that we have to address there and speak more fairly to. Uh, the second question is on the revenue side. <coughs> uh, again, we, we understand that revenue is volatile. And when you increase taxes and the revenue generated by the province goes down, there's a correlation with that. So we know that the tax base is not static. 
you raise taxes, capital will flee, and you have to entice them back somehow. One of the very reasons we are fortunate enough to have Cavendish here is we had a municipal government that enticed that investment to come here. And 12% uh, of nothing is, uh, is less than 8% of something. So we, we have to focus on what we can control. And uh, we've, we've done every, avenue, every effort on the revenue side to attract that investment back. And then we have to do uh, the same on the, the spend side where we have to um, bring our spending in line with what it was before. So again, we've seen uh, consistent deficits for, for over uh, nine of the last 10 years. We had oh, to bring that spending okay. in line. I'm gonna have to cut you short. We've sure. got now one, two, three, four, five, pe six people. If we're gonna get through it, please, questions, comments short, mm -hmm. and answers too. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Patricia Boswell, and I'm speaking actually on behalf of the retired teachers in this province. I know you're aware of the situation I'm going to present to you, that we have a 50% say on our pension funds. They are very well managed. We can fire our people if they don't do a good job. And we are, in fact, getting a, a pretty constant return of 9.6%. It's our understanding that you are trying to absorb our pension fund into your municipalities fund, which is making far less. I would be interested to know if you would be that concerned about us if we were making less than you. And I think that we have a right to continue a say in whether we want to go if we're 50%. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that question. That's a, a very good question, and uh, I would like to think, yes, I'm concerned. I understand teachers are concerned, um, and I understand that the different statistics can say almost anything you wanted to say. So AIMCO versus ATRF, I've seen stats on both sides from teachers and from the government, and depending on which window you pick, uh, very, very similar returns over the last 10 years, slightly higher for one over four, slightly higher for the other over six. Um, and I have uh, different members that are on Treasury Board where they have those statistics as well. Uh, the, the teachers and all people would maintain uh, ownership of those assets and they would maintain ownership and recognition of their board which would direct uh, how those investments are made, what they are made into and how those are, are treated and, uh, and directed and used. So they retain all of that control the only reason that the government would seek to do that is to avoid the duplication in administration fees of $40 million a year. That's, uh, that was the argument. Those are yours. We are much lower. Okay, uh, I think we're going to have to move on. Obviously, there's a, a lot of interest in that question, and maybe SAGPA should organize a separate session on it. But moving along now, please, quickly. My name is Barb McNeely-Sears. I understand um, Premier Kenny has put together a panel looking into the idea of separation. And the letter Mr. Kenny signed as Minister of Citizenship for the Government of Canada congratulating me on receiving my uh, Canadian citizenship in 2011, it says, as a Canadian, you must uphold the principles of democracy, freedom, and compassion, which are the foundation of a strong and united Canada. Welcome to the Canadian family, signed Mr. Jason Kenny. 
in keeping with the obligations and responsibilities of Canadian citizenship is given to me by Mr. Kenny. Will you commit to encouraging the Premier to work for a more united Canada? And here's the letter that I have. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can assure you Premier Kenny has gone on the record multiple times. He is a Federalist and he is not interested in separation from Canada in any way, shape or form. He is looking for options and input from Albertans on how to strengthen Alberta's position for a fair deal within Confederation. But this, there is a, a significant uh, number of Albertans who are, are very, very frustrated. Um, that, that number is somewhere uh, above 30%. We have to manage that in a responsible way. We do not want Alberta to leave uh, Canada. We're very, very strongly committed to a united and strong Canada. But we also have to answer the, the, the fears and concerns of, of Western um, alienation and the lack of voice. But I assure you, uh, Premier Kennedy has gone as far as to say that if somebody, if Albertans want Alberta to separate, they will have to find a different premier to do so. I'm going to keep my Canadian citizenship because that's what I got to start with. <laughs> Hi, Nathan. Um, my name is Laurie Schultz, and I want to thank you very much for coming today to speak. Very much appreciated. Um, my question is in regards to the CEC, the Canadian Energy uh, yes. Corporation, I perhaps it's mm -hmm. called. I noticed on your slides, uh, 30 million was allocated to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking you to comment or perhaps correct my understanding. Uh, my understanding is that CEC is a private corporation receiving taxpayer money, but not exempt from being foipable uh, and mm -hmm. transparent. So the taxpayer who's paying part of that 30 million will have no ability or mechanism to find out what CEC is doing, um, have any comment on it, and that, in my opinion, if my understanding is correct, is completely undemocratic, and it concerns me. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's a great question. I, I don't have the details in front of me today. Um, I do agree that uh, the Alberta taxpayer funding that, of funding that should have access to a lot of that information. I don't un have a clear understanding myself at this point what is available and what isn't. Uh, I will seek to try to find that information. You can make a note, Aaron. Okay. Uh, and, and get that back to, to SACPA. Thank you. Okay. We'd, we'd normally be having this as the last question, but... Uh, um, Nathan has agreed to stay on for five minutes. He has somewhere else to get to, so we'll take two more questions only. Sorry to the last three on the line there, but we'll take two more questions. Uh, hi, Nathan. My name's Ken Sears. Um, the elephant in the room here is this cut in the corporate tax rate from 12 to 8%. That is a 33 and a third percent tax cut. And in order to pay for that, you are hoping, and I'll put that in quotes, you are hoping that the economy will improve. But in the meantime, what your government is doing is cutting some of the most vulnerable people in this society. Ish, 
Indexing may not mean anything to you, but it sure as hell does to them. It's food, it's shelter, it's clothing. And yet you guys are saying, oh, well, this is nothing. We're just, it's, they've never had it before. Have you no shame? Again, we did see uh, once the 20% uh, tax was increased from 10 to 12%, we saw an immediate flight of capital. And uh, we saw revenues for the government actually go down because the tax base is not static. You raise taxes, they'll flee. The owner of the Calgary Flames within a month of that decision being made mm -hmm. left Alberta. He's a billionaire, was bringing billions of dollars into Alberta and paying tax on that. He no longer did. So the, it is not static. We have to do something to attract that investment back. And 1% uh, reduction from 12 to 11 is what we've done this year. Uh, and we will see that capital reinvest back into Alberta. That's uh, what our government has done and our decision to do that. And we're moving in that direction. Okay, next question, last question. Okay, my name is Eric Peterson. Thanks, Native, and good to meet you. Uh, I've just come back from Norway. I was over there in four months with my wife and I. We were traveling around. And I would suggest you send your minister over to Norway instead of England to learn something about how to run a country. Uh, as, as of this morning, Norway has $913 billion in their wealth fund. That's what they call the wealth fund. 22 kids in the classroom. Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. And Sweden and Norway is not doing as good as the, nor, uh, Denmark, but they all doing well. I was there for a whole month around there. And I think we could go and learn there a lot from their country. Now, I have to tell you this. Every time I bought gas or I bought something, there was 25% GST on everything. But that was it. That's their tax. But and Norway has never, ever sold a barrel of oil for under world price. Now, I know you go back to, I'm glad to hear you just said it wasn't just this government, it was just before you guys. We got a lot of governments to blame way down the line, and we should have never, ever sold a barrel of oil for the price we're selling right now. I got a son-in-law running a business in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. He says, he calls me, Dad, Dad, shut up, don't talk about that. We gotta have that cheap oil from Alberta we can make money on down here and ship around the world. Okay. So that's my, it's good to meet you, and I know you've got a tough job ahead of you, mm -hmm. but go back a little ways and okay. we should have we, money in the bank. We got your point, thank mm -hmm. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I can appreciate that. The one difference of Alberta being a province rather than its own uh, country uh, means that the $600 billion that we've committed to confederation over the past 40 uh, plus years means that we haven't been able to put that into the heritage fund. So that's, we don't collect those taxes. That's a fact that we've, we have contributed to confederation six, $600 billion. So we've put, we have 19 billion in that fund right now and we'd love for it to be more. And uh, we haven't had a government contribute to that heritage fund for over seven years. We need to get back to balance and we need to uh, be fiscally responsible to do so. 
And I will take your advice uh, to heart on getting a better, better uh, price for our barrel of oil. But thank you very much. Okay, thank you.